from a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. Journalist and investigator Jody Andes has worked at the Columbus Dispatch and was a senior investigator at the Ohio Attorney General's office, where she invested the con artist Bobby Thompson, the subject of her book, Master of Deceit. She is a licensed private investigator and the former producer of an investigative team at WBNS 10 TV. She's an author as well with this year's virtual Ohioana Book Festival. Welcome to Craft, Jody Andes. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Tell me about Bobby Thompson, the subject of the Master of Deceit, your book, who managed to steal around $100 million from uh, U.S. veterans before being caught. That's right. It's actually probably one of the craziest news stories you will come across. And I know you've been in the business quite a while, just like I was. Um, it's, it's kind of unfathomable, really. Mm-hmm. So he started out creating a fake Veterans Association uh, for the Navy, right? Back just before the turn of the century, um, this guy who went by the name Bobby Thompson had created an organization called the U.S. Navy Veterans. And it had great goals of helping veterans and um, military troops who were overseas. And um, it was a little slow at first, picked up very much after 9-11 and just exploded from there. So this nonprofit went 10 years and Americans were very dedicated um, to their troops and donated up to 100 million. Uh, Of course, nobody knew at the time that none of the money or pennies um, had ever gone to veterans and that Bobby Thompson wasn't who he said he was. And in fact, the organization itself didn't even exist. It was a mailing box. There were no members. There were no board of directors. It was all a facade. Going back even further into his background, it seemed like he had an association with the U.S. military that might have enabled him to pull off this scam. Tell me a little bit about his background. Yes, he had um, a really I'd say privileged um, childhood. So he was a very intelligent young student who got a scholarship to the University of Virginia, went on to Harvard Law School. He was, this was during the Vietnam War, the early stages of the Vietnam War, and he was tapped by Army Intelligence and got a position in military intelligence. He ended up working in it 13 years in which he received a lot of high level training. He had um, the highest security clearance, He spent many uh, training sessions with the Pentagon um, and high-level officials and was even sent abroad um, on a mission in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So does this then suggest that he decided, I suppose, at some point to just go rogue uh, when he had and use the military training he had to create this facade, create this uh, um, fake organization? In a way, yes. I believe what what happened initially is I think that for some reason he had some sort of a snap or breakdown. So it was like 1984 and he just, he started stealing from his clients because he was a lawyer and he left everything behind. And in the years after that, by 1987, he was well established into stealing identities and to uh, doing financial crimes. So it, it, it didn't happen overnight, but he is so intelligent and had so much training that he was able to, frankly, excel in just about any of the scams that he wanted. Mm-hmm. So how did he set up this fake charity? Uh, what was, I, mean, I, I guess I would think 
being naive in this area, that there would be some sort of oversight for charities that would have looked at what he was doing and questioned it. Yeah, it's really remarkable to me because what it really shows is that there is virtually little oversight overall, even today. So he was smart in how he did it. He started off in the 1990s down in Florida. And Florida had very little regulations at that time, charitable regulations. They were really kind of just getting started. So he, he picked a prime target and then he expanded it using research. So he would go um, and, and uh, register in states where they didn't do a lot of um, background works and checks. And ultimately he was in more than 40 states and not one of them and not even the IRS noticed that there was no offices, there were no officers, there were no board of directors, there were no members. So that shows you that there is very, very little um, regulation at all. Mm -hmm. So what was his usual MO when he contacted people? Because in the book, you've got um, a number of photographs of him with um, political figures, seemingly mostly Republicans like Rudy Giuliani, Karl Rove, George W. Bush, John Boehner, and Mitch McConnell. And they all seem to be smiling, totally taken in. So right. how did he do that? He had, he has charisma. There's no doubt about it. And he had extreme intelligence and he knew how to work the system. He knew how the system worked. He knew how the, how to steal identities, um, more than likely from his intelligence training. And, um, over time he ingratiated himself with the Republican party. I make a point in the book to stress that this is a book, not about politics. Now, Bobby Thompson utilized the Republican party and the Republican party gave him unbelievable access to um, high level senators, governors, congressmen. There really were few who were big in politics and Republican politics back in the early part of the century that Bobby was not close to. Um, and that, that granted him even more and more access to the point mm -hmm. where he was welcomed into the Oval Office. Now, mind you, Bobby Thompson wasn't who he said he was. He was using a stolen ID. So Bobby Thompson achieved all this access to the Speaker of the House, to the head of the Senate, majority leader in the Senate, to the Oval Office by using a stolen ID. And what nobody knew at the time was he was actually wanted for crimes and for questioning and espionage. Bobby Thompson, the name, how did he come upon that? And why wasn't that, uh, if it was stolen, sort of a, a red flag to the security personnel around all of these important political figures? I loved writing that chapter of the book because how he got into the White House um, and how these, these red flags were missed is really unbelievable when you sit there and look at all the differences. I mean, he wasn't the same height of the man of the identity he stole. He wasn't, he had nowhere the same complexion. Um, but what he did was he stole the identity of a Native American. And more than likely that was by design. He had a lot of experience with Native American reservations and knew their propensity to not trust authorities. And in this case, when the real Bobby Thompson noticed his identity was being used, he didn't report it um, because of that natural distrust to the government. And this allowed Bobby to continue with this ruse for a lot longer. 
Mm-hmm. What happened after he was caught? Did Bobby Thompson, the actual Bobby Thompson, uh, have any impact on the case? Did he respond to anything? What was his uh, take? No, his take, he, he actually had um, a very small role, I would say. When the investigators, it was a special team of U.S. Marshals. It, um, it was a task force involving U.S. Marshals, uh, Secret Service agent, and a detective out of the Cleveland area. So when these gentlemen were assigned together and came together, one of their first stops was to talk with the real Bobby Thompson. And it was surprising because he had no knowledge um, that, and he again, didn't report anything. So though he ended up testifying in the trial, he really was not a big player in all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just curious what uh, when he found out what his reaction might have been. Oh, I've I've been photographed supposedly with the president, with the head <laughs> of the house, and um, things like that. I was just more curious because he had told the investigators that how he noticed his identity had been stolen was he noticed his um, credit report and that there was an account with listing that bank account that listed several thousand dollars and he knew he didn't open it himself and it had his identifying information on there. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. I think a lot of us would either investigate further or say, hey, if that's my money, why can't I have it? Right, right, right. Yeah. So what was the thing that got him caught? Uh, or if you don't want to reveal that because, you, you know, that's a big part of the book, I imagine. Um, what, what led up to it? What was the beginning of the end for Bobby Thompson? Um, the beginning of the end was really his hubris. I mean, he is, a, like I said, a very intelligent man. And he liked to think he was the smartest person in the room. And that worked to his advantage for many years. But like any criminal, he became sloppy along the way. And because this team of U.S. Marshals was so dedicated, I mean, it was phenomenal work that they really did, um, it, it, it caught up with them over time. And you got assigned to um, the Bobby Thompson scam when you uh, started working at the Ohio Attorney General's office, right? Yeah, that's right. The um, BCI, as I'm sure you're familiar with, is part of the Ohio Attorney General's office, and they handle the criminal investigation. And this was such a massive fraud case. I likened it to a huge pile of snakes. I mean, it was constantly (laughs) moving. You you couldn't see where one um, lead began or where it ended, and it was just constantly shifting. And for that reason, um, the agents struggled with finding a lead. Um, You had no idea who Bobby really was. There was nothing um, that showed his real identity that was in records that have been discovered. And so the number two in the office, uh, a gentleman by the name of Chris Claros, came to me and said, hey, I want you to review this case and tell me what a reporter would see. And um, I was able to look at it, find some leads, and my role kind of uh, increased from there. Mm-hmm. Were, have you met, uh, I know that you've uh, talked with him um, from mm-hmm. his prison cell. Have you had the chance to meet him personally? Yes, I've spent more than a uh, dozen um sessions in i've gone up to the prison more than a dozen times and sat with him officially they wouldn't allow me in to do this as a author so um bobby thompson agreed to have me come in as a visitor and that's how i managed all these interviews what was it like being in his presence you said he was a charming person what was the takeaway when you were done talking with him 
he was he was very very interesting i will grant you that um he walks in and he is he's got quite a heavy limp now he obviously does not move fast he has a lot of different ailments that um he's working with so he doesn't appear to be that big bad criminal who kept the u.s marshals the irs and and the fbi and other agencies for you know on the run for 25 years um so it was it's kind of this odd juxtaposition sitting with him but he is extremely intelligent and likes to play a lot of games and so it was it was always interesting trying to stay one step ahead um of him during the interviews mm -hmm. did you ever come out and and tell people hey i'm clarice starling and i just met uh, <laughs> hannibal lecter was that that ever a moment um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it did feel surreal at times. Mm -hmm. So what is your next book? What are you working on now? Um, I am working on, um, just starting two different books. One is I'd actually like to try my hand at fiction. And the second one, um, I won't say yet, but it's another true crime story, um, and, and involves hidden treasure. So, um, I, I like these true crime stories where there is, still something to be learned and something that can that really interests people um you know this book master of deceit it should master of deceit would be the type of book you think that would attract attention if you remember um back in what was it 2008 2009 there was a couple the salahis um this was during the obama presidency where they got into a white house dinner do you remember right. this yeah, 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 I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was national news. They had got into the dinner. They were there for a couple pictures, and they were escorted out. Okay, that was huge news. Well, here you have somebody who was wanted, who used a stolen ID, who got actually into the Oval Office, and he was wanted for questioning for espionage. So there's, to me, this was a topic that the country has a lot yet to learn. And it always amazed me that nobody was digging further into this. You know, why doesn't the government want to know more of what happened and what went wrong? Mm -hmm. Makes you, um, you know, the conspiracy theorist in me wonders, you know, the background that uh, he may be covering up. Like you said, it uh, um, when he was in uh, working with the military, somebody taught him all of this. Right. And I make it clear in the book, there are federal officials who had good reason that they didn't want him caught. Um, so there is good reason why the federal government doesn't want this to become uh, a noted book. But mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's very important because it really does threaten our national security and it threatens um, how we look at charitable giving. And um, I was always amazed because, you know, we rely on our, our military, our troops, to sacrifice their lives for us, to do anything that our country needs. Yet here they were scammed, $100 million was taken from them. And nobody in the federal government was stepping up to say, wait a minute, this is wrong. This is our time where we need to protect them. Um, right. That continues to amaze me. Hmm. Well, Jody Andes, I thank you very much for talking to me today. Um, again, the book 
is called Master of Deceit, and it will be uh, available. Uh, I'll, I'll link to it on the website, and I'll link to your time when you'll be at the Ohioana Book Festival, which is virtual this year. So uh, I, I, I believe that they're doing Zoom sessions, and people will be able to um, listen to you talk about the book, and then perhaps ask questions, things like that. I'm not entirely sure what the format's going to be, but um, it'll be a, a great way for people to get to know more about your book. I, I love that. Um, frankly, during coronavirus, Zoom is about all we have right now. So yeah. I appreciate that. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative. <laughs>